Good morning. I'm usually pretty bad about keeping this close enough, so I'll try to. But I wrote it down too. Usually I can fly off the cuff, but there's a lot that's happened in the past year, year and a half. Um, so my name is Troy. I've met a lot of you, but not all of you. This is my beautiful wife, Courtney. Um, we're the Yoders. And uh, we came to Orangeville about a year ago, a little bit less than a year, but we've been in and around the church for probably the last year or so. And since we've been here, uh, God has really blessed us with the opportunity to rest and to heal. There's a big story be, uh, behind all that, but that would take way too long, so I'll try and keep it condensed. Uh, but this building has not only been a church, uh, but a family. Uh, we sought out the counseling ministry, uh, first of all, like I think is the story for quite a few people that are here. Uh, with a mixture for help with a mixture of burnout, depression, and uh, newly married, we'll call them difficulties. <laughs> so uh, we started attending a few months later after that, and God has really shown us what is necessary for us in a church, and this church, Orangeville, has fit that perfectly. So since coming here, we have increasingly uh, relied on God uh, in his plan for us. Um, he has used you guys as a church, as friends, and as family to grow us and mold us to be more like him. While here, he has continued to cultivate in me an aspiration to uh, seek after pastoral ministry. And for Courtney, uh, has really steered her heart towards biblical counseling. So even though, uh, if you guys haven't heard yet, we're going to South Carolina why we waited until after winter in Michigan to do that. I, we'll just chalk that up to the Lord's timing. Um, maybe we just need a, one last good cold snap, I guess, to take with us. Um, but even though we're moving to South Carolina, we still intend to pursue the Lord in those things. Uh, pastoral ministry for me, uh, biblical counseling for her. So we are so thankful uh, to all of you for the encouragement and the wisdom given to us by so many of you in regards to uh, those things. So while the warm weather, uh, friends and family are all very exciting reasons for us to move to South Carolina, I think Courtney and I are actually most excited to start a new adventure together and to see how God will work and what he has planned for us there. So we just wanted to thank you all for the opportunity to laugh with you, to cry with some, and to serve alongside all of you. So we've really been blessed while attending here, and we pray that God will use you in the same way for the next newcomers uh, that come through those doors. So we thank you, and we pray that God would bless you. So I don't know if you had anything specifically to say. Okay, right, so thank you. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll read scripture for us as well. So if you want to turn with me uh, in your copy of scripture to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, we're gonna be in verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the words of life, so that in the holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. If you'll pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, it's a a sweet but also a sad morning uh, for Courtney and I, uh, being the second to last Sunday that we'll be worshiping with our family here. But Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had and the experiences that we've had while here. You have blessed us mightily, and I pray that you would bless uh, Orangeville in return for it and for how well they've taken care of us and shown us love. Thank you for your word, Lord, in this passage. I pray that um, you will use it today to stir our hearts up in affection towards you, that we'll learn more about you and we'll grow closer to you. Thank you in your name. So I'm going to start, before jumping into the text, uh, just giving a little bit of a background statement on this message. Uh, broadly speaking, many of you know this, there's two forms of preaching. Um, the first one, expository preaching, also known as verse-by-verse -verse preaching, and then topical. Uh, so an expository message, the goal is you go through a text and you expound verses, usually line by line through the text, to understand the flow, understand the context of each line, each verse. Um, usually you'll go through a book or a couple uh, paragraphs maybe. Um, topical, big surprise, deals with topics. Yeah, yeah, I heard it. Topics. And uh, for example, like how to be saved. That's a topic. Um, or Pray, uh, what it means to praise God. Um, now, people kind of get up in arms over the difference between topical and ex expository. Um, there can be arguments over that sometimes, but it's interesting, and some, some of you might even be surprised to know this, that both of those are found in Scripture. You have examples of Paul, Peter, even Jesus himself speaking topically, kind of bringing in passages from all over, or going line by line through a text and expounding it, expository preaching. But if I had to choose, um, and actually Pastor Andrew is the same way, I am an expository guy. Um, I like that style, and, and I, there's a reason for that. Um, a list of reasons, actually, but one of the main ones is it's very hard to do topical preaching well. Um, what I mean by that is in order for me to be faithful to the text, I have to explain the context, I have to understand it, and I have to explain it to you. Um, topical preaching gets a bad name oftentimes because when you're cherry-picking verses from all over the Bible and bringing them in, it's very easy to miss things, to misquote, um, and really to abuse scripture. Um, a good topical sermon actually is, is still expositional. Because in my study, I need to study out all of those different verses um, and then bring those and somehow explain all of them to you. That said, 
Anyone, any guesses about this morning, um, what it might be? It's going to be a topical message. So what, I'm, what I want to say is when I do preach topical messages, oftentimes the reason for that is that I've seen either a need in the church that needs to be addressed, like maybe abortion might be an example, or a need in my own life, maybe something I need to hear. Um, this message is both. Um, it was something that I saw um, that I was struggling with personally, but I also saw some of you struggling with, um, which is why, um, which is why I'm going to preach what I am going to preach today. Um, I was planning um, to do this message, directly calling out and addressing complaining, the issue of complaining. Guys, I had, started, I had started to notice a complaining spirit starting to well up in me. Now, before you complain about this being the topic, I, am, I did decide to switch and do a different emphasis, okay? So, so yeah, don't, don't feel like a need to complain <clears throat> about it. But um, I had started to notice this spirit welling up in me. Have you been there? Um, spirit of complaining inside of me, and 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 also I I did notice it among the church, and it works that way sometimes, doesn't it? Like if I'm complaining, that can lead to you complaining, or vice versa. Um, so we need to help each other in this area. You know, God says complaining robs us of peace. It is a rejection of God. He actually uses that word. It's a rejection of him and his good gifts that he has given us. And he also tells it, it will ruin your witness to the world. Um, but like I said, I did decide to switch a little bit of my emphasis. Um, everybody breathes a sigh of relief, right? Um, no, we're still going to cover the issue of complaining, but I'm going to do so by talking about praise. Because praise is actually God's remedy for complaining. It's his solution. Um, also, I did feel like some of you might need the complaining message. You might. So, because I did a couple weeks ago. So, what I did, if you look in uh, your bulletin, there is a mini-sermon um, outline there. And so I put the verses that I was going to cover... Um, you might need, if God's working on your heart right now, you might need to go home and read those verses, and you might need to do some preaching. So you preach the message yourself, okay? Preach it to yourself um, at home. But I'm going to give you the blanks real quick if you're going to take notes today. Um, again, uh, complaining robs us of peace. Complaining rejects God and his good gifts. And it ruins our witness. So, friends, we need to repent. We come up with so many excuses about why we complain, don't we? It's their fault. I mean, I shouldn't have had to go through that, blah, 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 blah. My, I had three flights get canceled in Orlando. I've probably complained more about that than anything in the past week. Three flights in a row, right? We have our excuses, but guys, it's sin. 
It's a rejection of God because we are choosing to not be thankful for the things he's given us and to act like, I guess he isn't very good. So anyways, we need to repent of our complaining and uh, the last blank is cultivate praise. Um, Because like I said, praise is God's solution. Praise is the remedy for complaining. Um, Actually, interestingly, praise replaces all of the things complaining takes away. So complaining robs us of peace. Well, praise, praise according to Philippians 4, gives us peace. Praise gives us peace. Um, Praise glorifies God. It doesn't reject God. It gives him credit, right? It gives him glory. And then lastly, praise is a powerful testimony to the world. Not a negative one, but a positive and powerful testimony. So I needed that message a few weeks ago. If you need that message, if you need to study that, go home and and do that, okay? That said, I want to focus on praise. I want to focus on the last piece of that. Um, And I'm going to be taking kind of an odd angle on this. It's going to feel a little bit rabbit trail-like. I ended up deciding to stick with it. Um, And that is largely thanks to the song of a little girl and the cynicism of a small man. Um, Two small men, actually. The first of those two small men was a stranger to me. I did not know this guy. I don't think anyone here knows. Maybe, maybe somebody does, but he's not a part of this church. He's not in this area. Um, he's not somebody here. Uh, but he was using a phrase I don't like very much. It was the phrase kids these days. You know that phrase? It's oftentimes said with like a real uh, snarkiness and kind of disgust. Like kids these days. Okay, so I tend to complain sometimes. Um, One thing that's easy for me to complain about, I don't know about you, is complainers. I will complain about a complainer. Um, I I, I will do that. People's attitudes get to me. They really do. They really bother me sometimes. And and I, I, I listen to this guy, and basically, he's complaining about how kids these days, and that's a broad stroke. I mean, he's talking about little kids, adult kids, <laughs> um, probably me. Um, he's saying, um, kids these days, they are ungrateful, they're entitled, they don't work hard, um, they complain all the time. <laughs> I gotta preach it. Um, but you know, that's what stood out to me. Um, as much as I, this is what stood out to me, as much as I was bothered by the fact that this guy was choosing to run kids down to me, a perfect stranger, basically, to just run kids down to me on the first time I met him, as much as that bothered me, it's exactly what I do with the complainers in my own life, if not out loud in my mind. The people around me who complain, man, bothers me. I complain about them. He was just doing the same thing. Um, can you relate to that? So let me get personal. Let, let's, let's see if this applies to you, maybe. So I'm going to talk real quick, just working spouses, okay? Working or single people, 
um, working spouses you, all day, right, dealing with grumpy customers, grumpy coworkers. Um, you're, maybe your boss is upset at you for whatever reason that day. You pull in the driveway, just like done with the day, and you come inside and you go to get a glass of, and there's no milk or whatever beverage that you drink. And so you plop down on the couch with a glass of water, of all things, and you're just like, and then, and then your beautiful uh, spouse and or uh, maybe mother or brother comes on in and reminds you that you forgot again to do the dishes. Um, what do you do with that? What do we tend to do with that? Okay, but uh, let's, let's talk to the stay-at-home parents because I don't want you to get off the hook here. Um, stay-at-home parents, I know one of the toughest parts of what you do as a mom or a dad is you're dealing, working alongside kids all day, and they tend to be thankful about everything you do, right? All the time. Everything you do for them, just welling up with gratitude, right? No, they complain, right? Sometimes incessantly, all day long. So you get to the end of your day, a day full of complaining, and your spouse comes in, um, with complaints from work, what is easy to do? Those of us who work in the public sphere, those of us in ministry, um, Dave, where are you? You, you hear complaints sometimes, um, not throwing him under the bus. I hear a lot of complaints. What do we all tend to do? Right. You see how it's a cycle? People complaining about other people complaining, and, and it just... Guys, that's, that's sin cycle, that cycle of complaining. That's everywhere in our world, right? It's omnipresent. And I know you know that too, because I know at least most of you don't live in a cave, and, and you're out there and you're seeing this. It's, it's everywhere, complaining, right? It's no wonder that God has said, in the passage we read this morning, do everything without complaining or grumbling, your translation might say grumbling, or arguing, so that, it says, you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. And then it says, and then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Guys, you see, complaining that's, that's pervasive. But you meet somebody who's a person of praise, somebody who does everything without complaining, or at least does even a lot of things without complaining, man, it's like a sun shining in a dark room. And I, I know you know people like that. So, today I want to encourage us. I also want to maybe rebuke you if you need that in love, I needed that a few weeks ago, to deal with this spirit of complaining, but specifically by cultivating praise. Cultivating praise. Um, but here's the odd angle in it. I want to actually deal with that by focusing on the, the object of this guy's complaining. I want to actually just talk about kids this morning. And the reason for that, um, by the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, so if you want to flip over there, um, 
Um, the reason for that is I have been reminded recently, um, both through, through this and through my own life, some experiences that I've had, that one of the things God uses little ones for, or big ones, um, for is to help us cultivate praise. It's interesting. Um, so that's why the subtitle of today's message is three ways God will use children in your life if you let him. Okay? And, and just to clarify this, guys, this is not just for parents, okay? <laughs> this is not just for those of you who have your own kids. It's for anybody who has, knows kids at, at, at all or has ever struggled with their attitudes or behavior. And it's for anybody who struggles with complaining and needs to grow in their praise, okay? So I think that hits everybody here. That's, the message is not just for, uh, for parents. Um, so Matthew chapter 21. Um, and, and whoever the kids are in your life, whoever they are, what we're looking at this morning is multiple passages, three, the, the three times that Jesus actually addressed children and spoke of them. And, and I, I think if we can hear his words, if we can get what Jesus is saying, it is going to help ignite that praise in us um, so that we can become more grateful people like God desires us to be. So you tracking with me? That's kind of where we're going. Um, before though, before I read the passage, before we get into Matthew chapter 21, who's the little girl? I know some of you might be thinking about this. Who's the little girl? Um, well, I told you about my struggle with complaining, right? Well, a few weeks ago, as I was in the midst of this kind of complaining spirit, and, and as often the case, guys, you know, when we have stuff like that, when we have an attitude like that, it often comes hand in hand with a drift of our hearts away from God. Um, towards who? Towards where? Well, inward, right? Towards me myself and I, because there are three of us. Um, at least I feel that way sometimes, right? That is what was happening in my life. A drift of my heart inward. You know what complaining reveals more than anything, I think, about us? It reveals a small perspective. It reveals that I'm a small man. My world is as big as me, right? My perspective is as big as my feelings in this moment about this thing that's happening to me. Um, and the truth is I am. I'm a small man. I'm small here. And I'm also small here in my perspective. And what I need is for my heart and my eyes to be lifted up off of what I'm struggling with right now to a God who's at work in the world, in my life, a God who's caring for me, giving me so many different blessings, through my kids even, working in my heart, through my kids, um, through the people around me, um, through my suffering, right? There's this story he's doing. And I'm, if I understood that, I'd be overwhelmed that I could even be a part of his story, the story he's writing. So, to this small-hearted, uh, cynical man... God sends a, of all things, little girl. Um, so I'm, I'm at work here. I'm, I'm in the office. 
I'm chopping some papers for an announcement I did a few weeks ago for Lake Ann, and I'm chopping the papers, chopping the papers, and out of nowhere behind me, I hear this little three-year-old voice um, singing us the song, and, and you guys might know this song. Um, it was, Allelu, 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 Alleluia, praise ye the Lord. Allelu, 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 Alleluia, praise ye the Lord. She knows all the words. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. She sings the whole thing. Interrupts my day. Stops me right in my tracks. Because where is my heart? And it just broadened my perspective. So much so I just had to stop cutting the papers and take that moment in of what God was trying to say to me. Um, to focus on him. Because I hadn't been focusing on him very much that day. Um, so it stopped me in my tracks. But it also, what it did is it brought to mind a verse that Jesus spoke about kids um, in Matthew chapter 21. And it's the, the verse that says, from the lips, out of the mouth of children and infants, you have called forth praise. Um, so look, let's look at Matthew 21. This happened during Palm Sunday, by the way. Um, we're going to be celebrating that in two weeks, right? Two weeks from today is Palm Sunday. And you guys remember what happened during Palm Sunday, right? Huge, huge moment. It is the pinnacle culmination of Jesus' whole ministry. Um, in the sense that it is the, the pinnacle of joy and excitement about the fact that the king has come, he is here. Okay, so for a little bit of context, Jesus has been on this journey to Jerusalem. Jesus has been going through Israel actually for six whole months. It's, it's a week-long journey, but he's taken six months. And as he's gone along, the people have gathered to him and are following him into Jerusalem on their way, probably, to celebrate the Passover. And he's teaching them, and they, they're coming in. They come over the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side, okay? They're coming over the Mount of Olives, and right up above you is Jerusalem, the city. And what the people do, do you guys remember? Take their coats off. Like, there's this huge crowd of people, and they're throwing their coats in the road, and they're getting branches and throwing them down um, to literally pave the way of this king as he goes into Jerusalem, and in addition to that, Jesus gets on a, a donkey. You know, that, you know that whole story. Why did he do that? Ever wondered that? Like his mother rode a donkey when he was born. It's just like a theme or something. No, like there's a reason for that. It was actually a prophecy made in Zechariah chapter 9. I'll read it real quick. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Uh, shout for joy. Daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, riding, uh, sorry, sorry, righteous and victorious and humble, riding on a donkey, a colt. Like, that's one of those verses where, where if you're a person in this day and you're studying your Bible, you're like, that's weird, <laughs> right? But now you're seeing it unfold. 
that weird verse about the king riding on a donkey. See your king. It's happening in front of me, right? King is here. And do you remember what the people are shouting? What? Yeah, Hosanna. Do you know what that means? Save us. Save us, right? They're shouting um, as he rides in to Jerusalem. And little do they know that that those words that they're speaking are very quickly, within the time of one week, going to change to the words, crucify him. And that Jesus is going to save them, not in the way that they were expecting. He's going to save them by dying for them at their own hands. And that is what he has planned to do. But I'm willing to bet that that transition, um, I'm willing to bet it wasn't kids that turned on the king and said, we should kill this man. Right? It was the adults. It was the logical ones. And we actually know that this crowd, it says in chapter 27, that this crowd of people, they were persuaded by the Pharisees, I'm I'm quoting, by the chief priests and elders, they were persuaded to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Um, So that brings us to Matthew 21, and we're going to start in verse 14. This is after he's he's ridden in right into the temple, into the courtyard, um, and it says that the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the court, Hosanna to the son of David, right? They're just shouting what their parents were shouting, right? And they're dancing and shouting. The Pharisees are what? Furious, indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany. So, this is the first way that God will use children in your life if you let him. God gave us children as worship leaders. It's in your notes. God gave us children as worship leaders. He says, out of the mouths of of children and infants, you have called forth praise. Your translation might say you have ordained or planned your praise. Now, he's quoting a psalm when he says that, right? He says, have you never read? That's not a good thing to hear from from Jesus. (laughs) Have you never read? God has planned for his praise to come from the mouths of children. Um, So, adults in the room here. We can learn from the childlike innocence of a kid who can sing a whole chorus of hallelujah with no thought towards the fact that there's a pastor in the room or an adult, big scary person, that can just sing 
to God, even if the Pharisees don't want it. That kind of childlike, unashamed praise, we lose it, don't we, as we grow up, as we start listening to Pharisees in our life. That's not proper to do. You need to be proper in the temple. So I think there are moments all over the place, guys, where this can be true, where we can actually learn from the childlike wonder and, and praise and excitement of kids. Um, I think those of you who are parents know this. It's a joy, right, to see a kid as they see the world. And like, it's, it's amazing. Have you ever had a kid come to you like, I have a leaf. Look at this, or look at this rock I found. Or actually, my sister, my sister Katri, had a collection of rocks. Not crazy, beautiful, like shiny ones, just, just rocks. But she was fascinated by them. Shouldn't we be? Don't miss that. God, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have called forth your praise, right? Next time your child is amazed at God's creation, and you're, you're standing there, and there's that wonder, right, in their eyes, as they're like, look at this leaf. You're like, yeah, that's a cool leaf. God made that leaf. I couldn't have done that. I don't know about you. So, let them lead you in worship, is what I'm trying to say. Now, obviously, we teach them too, right? So, that's, so I'd say, first of all, let them lead you in worship. Um, back to that wonder. Second of all, use it as a teaching opportunity to talk with your kids about how, yeah, that is an awesome rock. That is an awesome leaf. God made that. Isn't that awesome? So, question for you on this first point, are you a person who is easily led in worship? Are you a person who freely worships? Without shame. Uh, Flip back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. This is the second passage where Jesus talks about kids or refers to children. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at verse 1. Uh, if you, I'll give you a second to get over there. Um, can you help me out, Wyatt? Okay, so Matthew, Matthew 18 says, At the time, at the time the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked him, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? You know, and I can totally see it. I can totally see this happening because this is a ragtag group of people, right? So, like, Matthew's talking about how he's going to be one of the greatest people. He's going to have this position of honor. I mean, he's a Roman tax collector. And, well, and then he turns around, well, you're a fisherman. What makes you think you're going to be the greatest, right? Or whether they use that word or not. They're arguing about who's greatest. Mark actually clarifies that when they ask Jesus this question, they've been arguing about it the whole way there on the road, about who's better. So Jesus calls a little child. You're actually not a little child, but I, I think you'd be easier to, than a little child to, to keep still, okay? So come on, come on over here. He calls a child to himself. He puts it in their midst. He says, everybody look here at Wyatt. And then he says, um, truly I tell you, 
unless you change and become like children, little children, but you're not little children, but if you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong phrase. You should take note of that. I should take note of that. If you don't become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the low position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Um, thanks, dude. So there's a shift uh, in what Jesus is saying, right? He, he calls the child. He says, you need to become like little children. Then he starts to, to refer to, to all of us as his children, right? He says, don't make any of these little ones stumble. Don't despise any of these little ones. But we are all supposed to be those little ones. That's the point. He's not, he's not making the point that you can't despise children, but I mean— definitely can despise the, the adults because they're pretty despicable, right? He transitions to talking about all of us as children because what are we to God? What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be his children. We're supposed to have a low view of ourselves in comparison to him, to be dependent, right? Right? So the second thing that Jesus said that children can teach us is to be humble, to be dependent. You can use the word dependent. That we're supposed to be like a little child. If, if we need food, you got to ask dad, right? Because you can't reach it. If you, need, if you want juice, you have to ask dad to get your cup and fill you up some juice. That's the perspective we should all have in terms of our relationship to God. So as we get old, first of all, we lose that amazement, right? Second of all, we lose that dependence and that humble spirit because we are self-sufficient adults who know better. Uh, flip over to Mark 10, last passage. So this is shortly after, actually, the narrative. It's in Matthew 2, but I, I, Mark kind of brings out a few points, so I'm going to flip over to Mark and, and go there. But this is right after that conversation, like days later. They're still having problems. So what does Jesus do? He tells them the same thing. Um, and this time, the problem is that people are bringing kids to Jesus. You know this story? They're bringing kids to him to have him do what? To pray for them. It says put his hands on them, but that is not a bad— He's not saying he's going to be rough on them. He's saying he's going to be praying for them, right? So bringing kids to him to put his hands on them, which means he was, they wanted him to pray for these kids. And then it says in, uh, we're in chapter 10, verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Like he's, we don't know why they've rebuked them, but he's too busy for this, right? Stop it. You're, you're distracting him. This is not what he's here for. Take these little kids away. When Jesus saw this, 
he was what? Same word that we said earlier. He was indignant. You know, the Pharisees were upset that the kids were singing. Jesus is upset that the kids were not allowed to be there near him. They were being held back. Um, He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to ones like these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So the third way God will use children in your life if you let him is that he will use them to teach you what true faith looks like. Um, He will use that to teach you what true faith looks like. And I think by that, when he's saying you need to receive the kingdom like a child, I think he's just saying the same thing he just said to them weeks ago. I think he's referring to an attitude of humility, but I also think he's referring to a childlike faith. Not one that is deluded by adult wisdom and arguments, but one that is just in awe of the world God has made and that desires to praise him, Um, that just takes it at face value, right? That kind of faith, by the way, is a faith that doesn't easily turn on somebody just because so-and-so said, you know, this person's actually bad, we should probably take him out. just a faith that accepts the kingdom of heaven as it's handed to you with awe and humility and wow, right? So it's easy to slip, right? It's easy to slip out of that mindset, um, that childlike mindset. Um, I also need to say this because there's a little bit of a nuance here. There's obviously ways that we're not supposed to stay like kids, right? I just have to say that because there's other passages where we're actually encouraged to give up childish ways. So in our diligence, in our, uh, in our work ethic, in our discernment, right? We need to grow up in those ways. We need to become discerning and diligent um, people who, who work hard and can provide for others. However, we might need to grow down in our praise. And what I mean by that is that we might need to look down and remember how small we are and how much we need God. So a few possible application questions for you, just to think about as we kind of wrap up and, and as we leave this morning. Just, um, They're at the bottom of of your notes there. Am I a complainer? Or am I a praiser or a a person of praise? And I, I think we all fall short of doing everything without complaining, right? But he tells us to do it, not because, like, that's an impossible standard. I'm just being funny. He tells us to do that because he expects us to do it as hard as we can, to not be people who complain. And that applies to you whether you're 4 or 14 or 44.
or 84. So who do I tend to complain about the most? That's another question. Who do I tend to complain to the most? And what can I do to make that right? Um, am I regularly looking for ways to teach my kids about God? And am I allowing God to teach me through them? To convict me of areas where I need to grow in my life. Another question, am I free to worship in my worship, to be like a child? Um, am I free in giving praise to God? Or am I always looking around to see who's watching? What would happen if I allowed myself to actually praise God freely? Last, last one, um, am I humble? Am I, am I like a child who's dependent on God for everything? Um, what, do I, what things do I go to God for that only he can provide? Interestingly, he can, he, that should be everything because only he can provide everything. I just don't think we go to him for everything. And then how often do I go to him? Um, so children can be a great joy, and they can be a teacher. Um, that's the last blank on the back there. They can be a teacher. They can teach us as we teach them, as we work with them, as we help them grow up. But if we don't receive what God is trying to teach us, there's stern warnings. There are grave warnings. In all three passages, there are warnings, right? The first passage, the warning is, have you never read that this is God calling forth his praise? In other words, he's telling the Pharisees, you've missed it. And it's obviously that, obvious that they did miss it, right? Because they were out to kill him at that point. And then he says, if we don't receive Christ like a child we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a stern warning. And he says that, uh, also in the passage we just read, see that you do not despise these little ones, right? Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. So those are, st those are stern warnings, warnings that I think we need to carry with us as we go today. Um, I'm going to pray. And man, Andrew's going to be upset, I think because I set a, a bad example. I'm done 20 minutes early. <laughs> um, but if, if you guys want to hang around, we got our uh, Coffee and Connect after service, and we'd love to, I'd love to talk with you more. Um, again, if you need to preach this to yourself, don't, don't neglect that. Go home and, and talk, talk with God. Um, let me pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, today and just uh, reminding me a couple weeks ago that I was drifting and I, I need you. Um, I know there's probably somebody here who has got the same, uh, just their heart is not in a good place right now and I just pray for them. Um, Lord, if you could just speak to them, um, just remind them that, uh, I mean, obviously, Lord, there's so many things that are hard in our life and, and you want us to come to you um, even to complain if we're doing it in the right way, uh, to come to you and say, Lord, help me. I need help. I'm Just so help them to do that. And uh, please do that uh, for your glory, for your name. Um, and I pray that, uh, just like Philippians says, Lord, that we'd be shining like stars in a, 
in a crooked generation that is full of arguing and, and complaining that we'd be like that star that's uh, different, um, makes people question, like, what do we have that they don't? Uh, just pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.